Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com about Robert Pattinson. <laughs> <laughs> <And> tentacles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's your intro. We are off there to we a go. great start. <laughs> And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. <laughs> and I'm Mary Beth. <laughs> and June is Pride Month, so each week our guest will be a member of the LGBTQ plus horror community and will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is the multi-talented artist, writer, performer, and filmmaker Anthony Hudson, best known as the self-professed drag clown Carla Rossi. They're also the host, programmer, and co-creator of Portland's LGBTQIA horror series, Queer Horror, the only ongoing exclusively LGBTQ horror screening series in the country. They are also the co-host of the Gaylords of Darkness podcast. A gifted performer, they're also the force behind live shows like Looking for Tiger Lily and Clown Down Failed to Mount. Welcome to the show, Anthony! Oh my god, thank you for having me! You're so excited you're here. We're so excited you're here. I could not be more stoked, especially to talk about what we're going to talk about. Oh, no. So good. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about lobsters, right? Lobsters, tentacles, mermaids, and um, Willem Dafoe's penis. That is legendary, apparently. Have you ever heard that Willem Dafoe's penis is like legendary? Does it have a ballad of its own? Uh, It should, but apparently, okay. I'm so sorry we're not launching into this interview right away, but um, so apparently Willem Dafoe's dick is huge. Oh. 
And so in Antichrist, have either of you seen Antichrist, the Lars von Trier movie? I have not. It is so on my list, and I have no excuse at this point. No, you do. It's like a lot. But and there's a, sh- a shot of a penis that is supposed to be Willem Dafoe's penis. Oh, oh hold on. I'm going to keep you in suspense. The train's coming. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect time for a train to come Clang, by. clang, clang goes the trolley. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just wondering about that penis. I know, right? All right, and we're back. Um, so there's a scene. It's like a black and white slow mo sex scene, and the there's best a, kind. and it's very much shows a penis going into a vagina. Oh. Um, but apparently they brought in a penis stunt double because Willem Dafoe's penis was too big. <laughs> oh, and I don't actually know if that's true, but. That's the tale on the internet, and I would like <laughs> to believe that that is canon and that that is correct. So, yeah. Willem Dafoe has a monster penis. He's got that Green Goblin Poseidon penis. Oh, my God. Does he call his dog the Green Goblin? <laughs> I hope so. I'm now wondering if there is, like, a Green Goblin dildo. Oh, my oh, God, there has to be. There has to be. There's and it shoots out Poseidon. little pumpkin bombs. Oh, God. <laughs> Look, people... People are into that ovipositive thing. And you I know saw what? those xenomorph eggs. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, it's not for me, but if it if it is good for you and it's safe, then you know what? We Have- are three and a half minutes in and already off the train. It's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. It is Pride Month. <laughs> um, so anyway, talking talking about uh, massive dongs and dildos, Anthony. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> how, did, how did you get into horror? <laughs> well, tell let me, me about tell your you. Horror. Does it involve Willem Dafoe's dick? It all started back in the 1970s. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I got into horror like you know, you know, being this weird little gay kid in a small town. I, I was just drawn to the fantastic uh, horror. For me, okay. was like it was like fairy tales, and like I saw Beetlejuice really young growing up, and it just yeah. clicked. Like oh, Delia Deets, legend for all time. I mean, everyone loves Lydia. Lydia's cool. Like goth icon. Thank you, Delia yes. Deets. However, I'm like that's the queen for me. Right. <laughs> so so oh. I see this incredible artist who inspires me to become an artist, but I also see this like fantastic world where everything is in crazy day glow colors, and yeah. there's like Miss Argentina, like a formative drag queen, like. <laughs> and- <laughs> And Beetlejuice himself, like, he's a voice actor, he's a zombie, he's just crazy. It was so surreal and fantastic that it just planted the seed, or the ovum, if you will, so (laughs) early. Uh, And then from there, you know, I I watched Creature from the Black Lagoon a little Mm. later with my brother, and it terrified me, uh, like, in second grade. And then, like, any weird developing queer kid, I was like, hey, zombies and slasher films, and just... (laughs) <laughs> fell in love and it's been a part of my life ever since i've i have been like so fascinated i think both like as i've come out as like a queer woman and also learning more about horror and doing this podcast like how many people in the queer community just love horror and like how we go to horror for yeah. comfort it's so cool and weird and interesting and i kind of love it and i just like wanted to say it because i just it's so interesting how we all are like yep horror that's where we would like to go Thank Absolutely. You. And that's I mean, best. that's why it, it's always been 
uh, even in my work in the theater world or the art world or any weird, uh, any weird box I find myself delineated into, like horror is always going to cross over in with all of them because it's, it's so central to my identity as a queer person. And I, I think horror yeah. is intrinsically queer in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But tr- transitioning, how, so you, you loved horror, you were growing up realizing you're queer. How did you get into, into drag? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> It all started back in the 1970s. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I think this was, this was the same weird queer kid that was sitting at home watching movies I wasn't supposed to be watching by myself, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. on, that would come on cable or whatever, whatever like free channel we had at the time. Um, like I would watch these horror movies. I would, I would stay up late and watch like Dawn of the Dead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I would also watch films like Priscilla Queen of the Desert or Stonewall, the old like, 95 Stonewall. Um, and I, I've started to really fall in love with these drag creatures, these like kind of ethereal sort of priestess like creatures that, especially what I loved about like drag leading up to, you know, pre RuPaul's drag race, like drag in the nineties and Mm eighties. You never really saw the drag queen outside of drag. And then there's like right. in, in films like Priscilla, like they never get out of drag, which is like, are these even drag queens or are these just like full on trans women? You know, the film mm-hmm. kind of confuses it. But um there was less of a separation between drag as like an occupation, like what drag race has made it and drag as like li- the lifestyle, like who the person is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um And so I was always so blown away by this. And I was just drawn to the amount, the ability to like become another person while also being intrinsically yourself. Um, Mm. and that just really spoke to me. I, I think I was, I was really young. I had one out relative growing up that was my uncle. He's my favorite person in the world. I was at his birthday party when I was like 10 and it was around the time I was just discovering these movies and. There was this woman that was so fantastic at this party and I was obsessed with her. And my mom leaned over and she's like, that's a man. And she was like really judgy about it and Catholic. Yeah. And, and <laughs> as, as some of parents are. <laughs> judgy Catholic. and Catholic, my favorite genre. And, <laughs> and I like see, but then looking back at this person with that information, my whole world exploded. And that's, I right. think that was when it set the seed, once again, the ovum, where I was like, <laughs> the world is so much more complicated than what it tells me it is. Yeah. And I think that was my real entry point for drag was that it was this place where you could be so much more and yet exactly who you are. Um, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And how did you uh, create uh, Carla Rossi? <laughs> well, I was <laughs> I was really drunk, um, which is the truth. <laughs> how every good was this, story starts. Was yeah, this back I, in 1973 as well? <laughs> this was back in 1973, just right after uh, my time in Nam. And... <laughs> And, um, well, that's the fun thing about having a drag character. I mean, I say character, but really she is me. She's mm. me at my worst and my best. Um, Carla Rossi is, is, is my super cyan, my ultimate form. And she, she is an immortal a character. A plus Dragon Ball Z reference. Thank you. <laughs> She's this immortal character. So I can just drop her into any time period I want. Like, oh yeah, Carla was at Nam. Oh yeah, Carla hung out with the, joined this folk group in the 60s that turned out to be the Manson family. Oops. And that's a dark time for Carla. It was one of very, very many dark times. <laughs> and 
so I, I, I kind of fell in love with this character over time and this, this aspect of myself and playing with, with the different litanies of voices <laughs> within my being, I guess. Um, and I, I embraced it fully. Like when I was in my, early 20s i was working at the mall here in portland oregon and i was living kind of a small sheltered post small town life trying to convince myself to go to art school um i started hanging out with jinx monsoon through another friend oh my god yes yeah and i mean this was back when she was a portlander this was like five this was this was like uh five years at least before she was on drag race she's a very good friend of mine i i love her very much oh my gosh that's amazing she's she's the best and and just going and hanging out with her meeting her hanging out with her and seeing this person who was able to do everything that i'd always wanted to do like like emceeing, stand up comedy, singing, mm-hmm. acting. Like she was making the work for herself. And I was always drawn to theater, especially as I developed as a teenager in high school. Theater is what saved my life in high school. Mm-hmm. I saw, but I was so tired of all the male roles that you'd get. Or like I didn't, I was, I never saw myself in them. Like I saw myself as a gender confused person that I am, I saw myself more drawn to these women's roles. Yeah. And I saw that Jinx was able to make, as an actor, Jinx was making all that work for herself by doing Jinx. Long story short, Jinx caused the breakup of one of my relationships. <laughs> it was a really, oh. it was a great thing that happened. Um, she didn't really cause it. She just set the fulcrum in motion, like most magical priestesses and tricksters do. <laughs> And I found myself uh, going out, getting drunk, having my liberation, youthful, post-crushing relationship explosion. Oh, man. Putting on drag, going to parties, crashing them, and Carla became a full-fledged persona slash version of myself slash um, one of my key art forms after that. Amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. It was a Pandora's box. It was a terrible thing. But (laughs) (laughs) But yes. And then also, I I wanted to touch on your your horror series that you co created, Queer Horror. That's how how so how long has that been going now? This is year five. We were actually Jeez. we were yeah we we've been running Queer Horror. It's it's like you said in that in that uh, lovely intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, it, it's the only ongoing, regularly happening queer horror film series in the country, which is bizarre to me. That is it bizarre. Is, that is incredibly bizarre. Um, and we were just going to celebrate five years on March 20th. We had our five-year anniversary. We were going to show God The Lure, with my favorite Killer Polish Mermaid musical. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so good. And then and then obviously we know what happened. Um, what? What happened? <laughs> What ca- oh, what's, my microwave what? broke. That's all. And oh, then I had to end shit. everything. Oh, you know. <laughs> I, know. I know. Where did, yeah, I, has anyone ever bought a microwave? You just find them. I'm not going to go buy one. It's actually, um, a really, it's actually a really good point. No, <laughs> anyway. literally, no one has ever bought a microwave. Bought a microwave. Um, so <laughs> thank you for just agreeing with me on that. I, I was like, wait, actually, that's a very accurate statement. The more I think about the microwaves I have, I've ever they, had, the more I'm like, I've never purchased a microwave. I've always just found appear. one. Or, like, it just been in my apartment. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, since since uh, since pandemic hit and, you know, our theater had to shutter and every, every all of our lives have shuttered, basically, except yeah. those of us out protesting. Um, <laughs> it has been, it, it's it's been kind of tricky navigating not having this thing, but it's also been nice to have a little bit of a, of a, a rest for the first time in, like, 10 years when I can't uh, rest. Yeah, um, I, that's fair. Yeah, there's that. But, uh... But it, it's still something I miss so much because it, this is, 
next to running Gaylords of Darkness with Stacey Ponder, like, um, Queer Horror, the series is my favorite thing to do. You know, we pitched it five years ago. I, I, my, my partner, Jason Edward Davis, who's this awesome painter and he does a lot of horror artwork. He created this image that just had, like kind of rocky horror style, like big voluptuous lips and dripping letters that said queer horror. And I was pitching mm. a film series to this theater. I love the Hollywood theater in Portland, Oregon. And I, I, I was like, okay, I want to do this thing called queer horror based on this painting. And, and it was that same question that you brought up, Mary Beth of like, I had been wondering at that point, I'd always been into horror, but I always had wondered why are queers in particular so drawn to this, like a moth to a flame. Yeah. And so this was my way of, like, kind of figuring it out and asking that question. Like, let's show horror films. Let's get as many queers into the theater as we can and see what the answer is. And, you know, what I've learned in five years of now sold-out shows almost every month that we do it. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, we fit 400 people in the theater. They're almost Damn. all queers or allies. And, like, when we're all together watching these films, you we all take in all the subtext, all the coding. And, and it's like church. And... It's just like become oh, that's my. Such a good way to put it. It's like yeah. church. Yeah, it's oh. it's my favorite thing to do, and it's uh, it's just so beautiful. We do, it, it's silly. We do like little short kind of parody plays based on the films that are always relative to like contemporary politics and what's happening in the world. Um, we do these little dragon burlesque plays before the film, kind of inspired Ooh. by what Peaches Christ was doing with Midnight Mass. She's a huge oh, hero of mine. Oh yeah. And then we show the film, and it's just. A wonderful way to come together and celebrate these films that really, I think, are ours that a lot of people don't know are ours. <laughs> what I love about this, too, is that horror is such a communal experience. And when you add that to uh, queer identity as well, that just I, I just I want to be in Portland with the, in one of these shows. Like, it just sounds it sounds so amazing and so like liberating to just be queer and enjoying the thing that you love. It. Isn't it nuts that, like, that's such a bare minimum ask? Right. <laughs> and yet it's something yeah. that a lot of people don't have. And I, I've i heard that from so many friends nationwide that are like, I want to come be part of this because we don't have this here. And it is yeah, it is really sad that there is not a lot of it, but it's great to see that that community is developing more so online. Mm -hmm. But but that's the thing about film is it we watch them all so alone. Uh, and especially right now, we're all very insular in how we take in films. Right. But the, and, and, and all of the films that we've shown at Queer Horror, like, I only saw them by myself on DVD or VHS as a kid growing up. So a lot of time when I show these films in the theater, they're the first time I'm seeing them on the big screen. Yeah. Films are made to be watched with other people. That's what activates them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so great to have that experience. I also wanted to touch on um, Gaylords of, of Darkness because I I love your guys' show. I oh, love I love it so much, and I really I just wanted to just say that I really did appreciate both you and Stacy's uh, deep dive into the the Joe Bob Briggs fiasco that happened um, <laughs> recently. And I, I don't want to linger on that, but I just wanted to, to thank you for that because that was um, it was it was really good to to listen to that kind of conversation. Cause I mean, when you're on, when you're on Twitter or when you're writing an article or whatever, it's a typically a one way experience. And so to actually listen to you both discuss it was, was really, was really good. And how, how did, um, how did you both create Gaylords of Darkness? Oh, well, well, first off, thank you. Um, Stacy and I are two 
angry DIY punk <laughs> queer, you know, artists. And that, that kind of approaches, that's how we approach everything we make and especially making Gaylords together. So I'm really grateful to hear that. Yeah, I actually like really early on into my horror development, um, and just my development as a writer, as a thinker, as an artist, um, you know, when I, I, I went off to college really briefly and then came home after two semesters and I was like 20 and then just sat and watched the Cindy Lauper DVD and cried for like two weeks straight after I dropped <laughs> out of college the first time. <laughs> and I discovered this website or discovered like it never existed before that. I, I found this website, Final Girl, and it was Stacey Ponder's blog. Mm-hmm. And it was the first place where I ever saw another gay person writing about horror movies. And it wasn't always about that. Like it came up here and there. And it was so funny. And this person was so obsessed with like 70s made for TV films and just like all this, like had like a weird, like retro mod aesthetic and, and the films they appreciated and the references they made. And I was so drawn to it. I thought it was so funny and compelling. And that was, you know, my favorite horror website. That was the thing I always came back to. Um, I approached Stacy. Finally, I reached out to her. Like, I think I'd comment here and there on the boards in the, in the now 15 years that I've been following, um, Stacy's work. But when we launched Queer Horror, the very first version was as a film festival, as a short film festival, which then mm. became a regular screening series. And I, I asked Stacy, cause she had made some really great short films, including a, a few with Lena Headey. And I was like, Hey, can oh. I show, can I, yeah, just her. I was like, can I show it in Satan's closet at Queer Horror? And we just started talking after that. And then, you know, five years later, or I guess four years later, whenever we started Gay Lords, like almost a year and a half ago, Stacy wanted to start a podcast and she just reached out to me and she said, do you want to do this with me? And I, one, could not believe I was even being asked because I've <laughs> idolized this person for decade, a decade at least. Wow. And then two, I was like, I don't know that I have a lot of time to devote to this, but if we're okay setting up these parameters and we just do this, I'm in. And it's been, it's been such a blast ever since. Um, yeah, you just talked to... Luca Guadagnino about Suspiria? That was weird. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We- <laughs> I, was at, I was like looking at your Twitter before and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to ask a couple questions about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's nuts seeing, um, seeing my, uh, sub- like one, it's been a dream getting to work with Stacy, but then just seeing like, you know, we, I got to actually meet and hang out with Stacy. Like our first episode was the first time we ever spoke in person. Like we even oh. heard each other's voices. And that was wow. just a test to see if we would have any chemistry because we'd only ever emailed <laughs> before that. Um, and luckily that worked out. But I mean, so it's been a dream just getting to do that. But then like we, we got to actually hang out and do our first live show on Friday the 13th last December. And we had Amy Steele and Adrian King and we showed both Friday the 13th, you know, one and two on 35 millimeter. And it was. It's so it, fucking cool. Yeah, it was such a pinch me moment. And now, you know, we've done five episodes, I think, four or five episodes on Suspiria now. And we just got As to you have... should. It's such a good it's movie. It's so good. Thank you. It's what it deserves. We got to have Luca and Dave on. And that was... That is so fucking cool. That's amazing. It's just, I, I constantly have these, like, pinch me moments. And it's not... It's really, like, I can't st- stress enough, like... We, we really don't go out of our ways to seek these things. We've never really been good at promoting ourselves or putting ourselves out there. I think it's just, I'm a bel- firm believer that if you really have passion in something, um, it will come back to you and it will attract what you're, what you're seeking, which kind of sounds like the secret, which I do not endorse. <laughs> 
but it just it has worked out for Gaylords in that respect. That's so cool. That's gonna be the pull quote. We're just gonna say yeah. Anthony believes in the secret. Anthony Hudson, endorser of the secret. Endorser of the secret. <laughs> All you need is a vision board. <laughs> Exclusive podcast content. Yeah, yeah. Um, buy your Gaylord's vision buy- board. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Um, Terry, do we want to talk about what we've been watching recently? We do. You, we, we do want to talk about. We it. do. Okay. We talk about it. <laughs> For some reason, he said we do, and I was like, that doesn't seem like the right answer. But I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me today. Anyway, Terry. What have you been watching recently? Well, in my in my quest to get through my my backlog of collectors Blu-rays, um, I watched a movie that posits: What if Jason is British and had fleed to America with his his mom from an abusive father, and then the events of Camp Crystal Lake happens, and later on he ends up going back to britain where he falls in love with a blind woman who doesn't see him for the monster the rest of the world does and of course her name is shelly because it's a frankenstein metaphor that's painfully obvious and it becomes a lord byron quoting melodrama in the middle before turning into a a slasher at the end again i'm talking about unmasked part 25 what? What the fuck is <laughs> this? This is a thing? This is a thing. It's called Unmasked Part 25. And the character's name is Jackson, but he wears a hockey mask and he's introduced <laughs> Jackson. in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> and he's introduced in the beginning killing a bunch of like British punks. One, he like. The first victim, he literally peels the face off and then punches his heart through his chest. Okay, and he goes that's, through... that's pretty. That's pretty pretty cool though. Yeah, yeah. So like the <laughs> the first like ten fifteen minutes, he's going on this murder spree, and it's it's pretty inventive. Um, considering, you know, the the I'm assuming low budget of this movie, and it, it's kind of funny. And he then is about to kill this woman when he finds out that she's blind, and she was waiting for her date to show up. That she, kind of um a blind date uh, pardon that because that wasn't intentional but it was a blind date and (laughs) he and thinks confuses jackson for her date and they end up going on dates and trying out bdsm sex and he quotes lord byron while they fuck um no before he decides to like (laughs) oh that's what sets the mood (laughs) Ah, right. Nothing gets me wetter than a guy quoting Lord Byron at me. Famous <laughs> misogynist Lord Byron. <laughs> Lord Byron really, really gets me in the mood. I mean, you know, I and well, and the other thing is, is that my favorite part of this movie, and it, it's such a stupid little moment, but I was something I had to write down in my notes was that I I was watching it with the the subtitles on because I like I've gotten into a habit of doing that oh i do that i do that too yeah i'm trying to like take take notes and when she brings him to her house she turns on what is described as energetic rock music (laughs) and then starts interpretive dancing slash voguing to it what which is the weirdest combination of things that i've ever seen in dance it's it's one of those like i love the beginning i really enjoyed the end 
the middle is really slow. Oh, <laughs> that's the worst. Um, like I, it seemed like once they got past this one note joke of the fact that you know, I mean, because like there is some philosophical underpinnings of like he has been called a monster and therefore he is a monster type thing uh. that are that is kind of interesting, but like they don't really do much with it unfortunately mm. and it's and i went into it thinking i was watching like a parody movie and then to go from this amazing opening and kind of to the fun ending and then this middle section is just like him pondering his existence while once in a while trying to perform bdsm sex uh is just a weird it was a weird ass time um <laughs> yeah it sounds like quite a roller coaster what who released it it's a vinegar yeah. syndrome. A vinegar release, syndrome, okay. Of course. Oh, okay. And it's it's from 1988, and it's okay. um. Oh, it this is new. No, this is an old movie from 1988, and boy, does it wear some of its uh, 1988ness on its sleeve. Wow. Uh, like there's a a part where he asks her if if she's had a lot of men. Um dates and she's like no have you and he's like no she's like i'm glad it's not safe being bisexual these days and i'm like oh this is 1988 huh. <laughs> this is uh wow. yeah so there are there's definitely some tone deafness in this movie <laughs> and the fu- the funny thing is that the writers like they they credit william shakespeare for his poetry in it so oh, wow. I, don't, I don't understand i don't like imdb the writers is this is mark cutworth firth and william shakespeare in parentheses, poetry. So <laughs> it's, I don't know what to say. It's a, it is, it is a movie that I think has, it has some really good practical effects when it uses it, but too much of it is just wasted. Mm, okay. But that's pretty much the only thing that I've, I've, I've experienced, except that I've been playing lot, The Last of Us, uh, Last of Us again to prepare oh, for the sequel. And, the oh, yeah. Too. And that was a decision. Yeah, are you doing okay? <laughs> it's, it's how you feeling? How you feeling over there, buddy? I forgot how fucking <laughs> depressive that game is. Yes. Have, you, have you, either of you played it? Yeah, I have. I are you a gamer? Love the first one. I'm deep yeah. gamer. I love the first one so much. <laughs> Actually, I honestly like. I don't even think I'm going to touch the second one because it just sounds way too bleak for me. <laughs> well, someone I've heard. I've heard a lot of people say the second one is actually better than the first one. I've, oh, wow. I've heard that, but I've also heard that it is like it's really violent. Bleak. Like, yeah, I've also I heard, just, I've heard that. Like it's really good, but it's like extremely bleak, and you have to do a lot of fucked up stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was Which just is like, like the first one, you know. But. I loved playing a, a queer teenager that, in that first game, and I the last thing that was going through my head and when I was playing the first game was like, wow, I can't wait to brutalize this queer teenager later in the sequel. So <laughs> can't wait! I, I'm so excited. I, know, I might. <laughs> <laughs> I might skip that one, but I I love the first game so much. It's so good, it's man. I'll so tell you, I I was like, yeah, I should play this, not realizing that you know, in the first like ten minutes of the game, it's like the world is ending and mm-hmm. no one knows what's going on, and there's a plague of sorts. I'm like, oh, this is this is grim <laughs> but this, like the zombie creatures in the last of us are so cool the clickers oh i just oh. think it's such a cool design as such a cool concept really it's so cool fucking mushroom um, yeah. people right <laughs> <laughs> mushroom head 
But uh, <laughs> but that's that's basically it for me. What about okay. you, Mary Beth? So I um recently watched Starship Troopers for the first time. Mm. <gasps> and guess <laughs> Excuse me, what? First, that was the first time? That was the first time, and guess what? I fucking love that movie. Isn't it so fucking good? So it's is so it funny. not perfect? It is? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This is so funny because so my partner Steve was like, yeah, like we should watch we we watch RoboCop. Like I'm catching a lot of catch up on like my holes in act, like especially action movie knowledge. So we watched RoboCop, and I was like, okay, fuck yeah, love this. And then he's like, oh well, we should watch Starship Troopers. I'm like, I thought it was I I get Starship Troopers and Super Troopers mixed up, <laughs> and they are they are two very very different movies. Yeah, this is definitely not uh, the the haunting slash the house on haunted hill situation here, Mary Beth. Yeah. I just have a problem. I have a problem here, and then it's going to come up again when we talk about the movie you brought today, Anthony, because I also have another one that I get confused with, and it's just like oh. I can't keep my sh- I can't keep my shit straight. But I just feel like Starship Troopers has no right to be as perfect as it is, but it is such a good fucking movie. Like it is funny and gory and. I have a crush on Michael Ironside, I'm not afraid to admit. Um, And I just enjoyed every second of it. And I'm so I'm so mad I didn't watch it sooner. But I'm so glad I have now seen it because oh my god, it is such a good movie. It's like the like the alien effects are actually really, really good. They um, hold yeah, up. I haven't seen it in a long time. It but like, really holds up. Like in my mind, they're they're perfect. They are. They're really good. It's the graphics and the image, like everything is so good. It doesn't look cheesy. And like Denise Richards is in it, and oh. Neil Patrick Harris is in it. And I was like, oh my god, it's everybody. And then Gary Busey's son is in it. Um, <laughs> Dina Meyer. Really, oh, oh yes. And it's just such a good movie. And I'm. It's just everyone needs to see it. Um, don't be like me. <laughs> but I absolutely adored it. So I just wrote an article about this movie called Sector 7. It is a 2011 Korean um, aquatic horror monster movie that is streaming for free on Tubi. And it if you like underwater, the movie Underwater and Aquatic Horror, uh, Sector 7 is your, is your shit. It is so cheesy and it was filmed to be in 3D. So the CGI looks real weird. But... Oh. It is so deeply bizarre in some aspects. Like, there's a motorcycle race and this oil rig. The whole thing takes what? place in an oil rig, and it's very similar to underwater. It's like they're drilling for oil and they unleash something from the depths. And this came out before underwater. So, there's a motorcycle race at some point because they brought their motorcycles onto the oil rig. Because, you know, when you go on an oil rig, you want to bring your motorcycles. Um, always. Always. And. <laughs> Then the monster is really cool. And you have you guys ever seen like a water bear? Those tiny little microscopic things. Oh my god. Yeah. Yes. They like live on the moon and stuff. Yes. So the monster looks like one of those, but giant, but like not <gasps> cute. Like a giant water bear with like a lot of tentacles and sharp teeth. And it, can, it like nothing can kill it. It literally, it, it is set on fire. It is, there are multiple explosions. It gets stabbed in the mouth like 40 times. And literally, it doesn't die. And it's so I it's I enjoy it because it's like so such a relentless creature, and it's like you get to see it a lot. It isn't. It's not one of those movies that hides the creature. It's like when the creature is there, it is like there and eating and killing. And I <laughs> I like that in a monster movie because I feel like sometimes they just like only show you the monster a little bit. And this one is just mm-hmm. like no fuck that. Like we're just gonna shove it in your face. So <laughs> it's streaming on Tubi. 
for free with commercials, and it's available to rent other places. And it's a really enjoyable aquatic horror film. It's kind of cheesy, but like in a really fun way. And I had an amazing time watching it. And I wrote an article for Nightmare on Film Street about it if you need more um, persuading that it is worth your time. So mm. I recommend that. It's fun, and you can pretend that you're in the water for the summer. <laughs> Sign me up. I love a water bear. You had me at water bear. (laughs) (laughs) I love water bears, too. They're so cute. Anyway, Anthony, what have you been watching? (laughs) Well, listen, so pandemic hit. We all got stuck in our homes. I got every streaming service ever. I got Criterion. I got Arrow Video <laughs> Channel. I got Hulu. Oh, I got Netflix. Wow. I got Disney Plus. I got all, I got all of them except ESPN. I don't need ESPN, but I got all the, all the channels. And then all I have watched since then is Batman the Animated Series over and over <laughs> and over <laughs> instead Fuck. of watching anything yes. offered. Fuck yes. I was like, like, like right before pandemic, I was, like the world's number one stand for Birds of Prey. I loved it so much. Oh, um, it's, so, it's good. so fucking good. It's thank you so much. It's perfect. Margot Robbie is perfect. Is. Kathy Yan is she a genius. Is. Um, yes. And I just like, I also gay representation with those villains and the, all the oh community my God. characters. It's um, just so I just, gay. Such a fan. So I would like, I've been in a deep Gotham train since then. Like, I, I don't play oh. Suicide Squad. I don't play the Joker. I don't play any of the, the new, more newfangled stuff unless it has Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. But I was, I've been like going back to my animated series and then I've been watching the old Adam West Batman, like the episode with oh, Shelly cool. Winters. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've been playing Arkham Asylum again now. So I'm just, oh, I'm just. Shit. Wow. You really are like <sighs> deep in like a DC batman hole i am going i am going right back there because when i was a kid too i mean that was like when i think about those like horror adjacent dark fairy tales that i loved as a kid like batman returns was one of them and oh yeah Mich- oh, I love michelle batman viper returns. as catwoman like she totally mm. you know talking about depositing That's a drag queen them, right like, there yeah she like really impacted me and set me up for a love affair with these with these women that reject everything just like harley quinn so i'm yeah. I'm all here for them. <laughs> That's all. Do you read the comic books at all? I have actually, I don't think I've ever read a Batman comic, which is shocking to me. That is shocking, but there are, there are so many, it's kind of hard to pick. But there's a couple really yeah. good, like, horror volumes that, like, stand alone. Because I'm not Ooh. a huge superhero person. Like, I think it's too confusing and complicated. Yeah, you know, superhero, like, it's it's hard to be a a general, like, lover of superhero comics because it's really hard to keep the continuity straight. Like they yeah. just sort of like change every few episode issues. It's like, okay, now we're going to do this. And it's like, okay, but what's the continuity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah can, it's, it's really I complicated. I, mm-hmm. I, I, it, it I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not even like a big superhero person. Like I, I, I'm not really a big fan of like the Marvel movies. I, same. I grew up a Same. yeah. I grew up a deep X Men stan and ba- Batman Hell stan yeah. and Spider Man. Yeah. So and yeah. so for me, it was like I, it was X Men comics and Spider Man comics. The Batman comics, for some reason, I didn't get into. It, it was really about the animated series and the Adam West show and the Michael Keaton. Michelle Pfeiffer, my Batman Returns. I mean, that's exactly the same for me. And I mean, X Men for me because Wolverine. Mm. Mm. Oh, Even yeah. before I knew I was gay, I was like, <laughs> I like this man. How could you not see though? me? It was it was Reba McIntyre as Rogue, or <laughs> I, I always hoped that she would be Reba McIntyre. 
love it. Wait. Flying around with those yellow cleaning gloves. Oh it. my god. Yeah, there are a couple really good horror horror adjacent um Batman comics that stand alone because I like those, but they're like you don't have to know anything really about like a continuity, Ooh. which is why I What's like some- them. I was I was looking at like I want to read long 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 Halloween or the long Halloween some, yeah yeah that one and like Harleen or two I was looking at to start with but I'm not yeah I, the long Halloween and then the killing well do you like the Joker do you care about the Joker like as a character I like I used to love him now I'm not as into him now that there's Harley Quinn post him <laughs> oh yeah okay <laughs> but a killing joke is one actually I have been yeah to I was check gonna say the too. killing the killing joke is really really good um. There's a couple others I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but there's some really good ones that are like. There's one where like Batman's stuck in the asylum. Is that is that the yeah, one? Yeah, that's one of them. I cannot. Is that the I long Halloween? Remember. I don't know. I can't remember. People are gonna come for us probably. For I know, annoying, but like whatever. <laughs> You're gonna be canceled. Um, <laughs> yep. And then there's a really there's a really cool Mike Mignola version of Batman that's like a crossover between. It's like the um, hell that came to Gotham or something like that, and it's like Ooh. Batman in Mike Mignola style, and there's like eldritch horror and stuff and it's really oh. cool oh, I, it's a little bit harder to find but i found it on ebay and um they're really i mean they're beautiful because i like i love mike mcnola's style he did hellboy and so yeah yeah anyway well i'm gonna have to check him out living you've been living the life though i yeah life i got my um my juicy couture tracksuit, but it just says gotham on the back of it <laughs> what color is it um neon gray <laughs> It's a <laughs> limited edition. Limited edition neon gray juicy couture suit that says Gotham on the butt was... or on the back of like the sh- of the jacket. Oh, on the butt, of course. Okay, good, good. I, I was just yeah. making sure. Remember, remember when that was a thing to have sweatpants with a word on the back? Oh yeah. <laughs> like why? So, well, we've talked about what we've been watching recently, but Anthony, what movie have you brought with you today that we're gonna talk about? Well, the movie I am clutching to my bosom today is the 1993 (laughs) classic, question mark, Fire in the Sky. How does it think? What makes it move? Why does it breathe? Questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Oh my gosh. Okay, so for those of you unfamiliar, uh, Fire in the Sky is a film very loosely based on a supposed real life UFO, UFO, good lord, UFO abduction. Um, it follows a logger named Travis Walton. He's an Arizona logger who mysteriously disappears for five days in a, an alleged encounter with a flying saucer in 1975. It only gets weirder from there. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, how old were you when you saw this movie? And 
what the fuck? <laughs> that is exactly my feelings about this film. I was about <laughs> five or six or something when I saw this. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This one was a doozy. Um, yeah. I was already creeped out by aliens, right? Like, aliens mm-hmm. are yeah. spooky, especially growing up watching Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. All the alien stories are scary. So that was a problem. But then seeing this film... <laughs> I don't know if, I don't, I can't remember if I, I don't, this isn't something my parents would have showed me. I think I must have seen it with, um, my brother-in-law. My sister is a little bit older than me and she, her husband, I think my, must have showed it to me because they didn't have as much standards as my parents did. <laughs> and I think it was a little bit more real for me because, and it must have been my brother-in-law because somehow this information came through to me that his mom, somehow her car ended up being the car that James Garner drove in the movie. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, like, somehow that was, like, a factoid about the film that they introduced me. (laughs) So they're like, let's watch the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, this is a really good reason to watch it. Yeah, the set, the set, like, somehow they got that, (laughs) that car, they purchased it, and she knew that that was where it went, so we decided to watch it. And I think that just, even, like, as a kid, that just made it even more real yeah. even though you think that would point to the fact that it's a movie but it made it more upsetting for me <laughs> that it's like that's a car and there's aliens putting goo in the mouths <laughs> so <laughs> messed me up God. messed me Ugh. up Good so God. i I'm, I'm sure that that people who've seen this movie can probably guess but do you what scenes in particular do you remember terrifying you as a kid well <laughs> The film culminates in an alien abduction <laughs> sequence. <laughs> Boy, does it's, it. It could be argued that that sequence is all the film has going for it. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for saying that, because I was going to say it. I was going to be like, can we talk about this? <laughs> I mean, it's basically a made-for-TV movie. And it doesn't help that on this rewatch, I was I was watching like the free-to-watch version, so there were commercials. that would, Oh my like, god. They're, like, trying to solve the mystery, and then it's like, by Tide! And I was very confused. Funny story um, about that. I, like, I messaged uh, Mary Beth when I watched it. Um, I was like, so I, I tried watching the, the free version, and the first time they went to a commercial, like, three minutes in the movie, I'm like, nope, I'm gonna go buy this shit. Yeah, I, I kept telling myself. I, I was like, should I just do it? But then my apathy just won, yeah. so I just stuck with it. But, I mean, the alien abduction sequence itself, like, you know, the guys all drive out to the forest i guess that's what it's called and then they get abducted he gets abducted and thrown or he thrown around by the light and then you don't see him get sucked up but like that's eerie yeah. But it's that alien abduction sequence that fucked me up. I mean, you have him being pulled down a hallway. The aliens, like, they look like greys, only in that their spacesuits look like a classic grey alien. But then underneath that, they're, like, all, like, wrinkly and, like, kind of like Gollum. Yeah. And then they're, like, dragging around. They kind of rip his clothes off. Up 
and shove like goo in him and put the giant body condom flesh sack on him and Then the needles and the plugs and oh my god, why? <laughs> it is an unrelenting. I timed it like twelve, little over twelve minutes of uninterrupted what the fuckery. Oh, that's like smack dab in the middle of this rather pedestrian mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was think it's like it feels like a true crime, like made for TV lifetime movie until you get to these awful alien abduction scene i was like this is the pacing is so fucking bizarre and like it feels like a true crime drama you know it's not because you see the aliens but like it still kind of feels like it with james garner as a cowboy (laughs) and like james garner there's some like some marital issues with robert patrick who's from terminator 2 and i couldn't stop thinking about that (laughs) and and then the alien and then the alien abduction happens and i'm like holy shit like that was amazing I'm sad that this movie has only 12 minutes of maybe 15 of like actually scary footage. When literally until that alien abduction, the main plot points of the movie are like they're having a town meeting in a church. And then there's a question about whether or not polygraphs are valid. Frankly, I don't care whether you pass or not. If you're lying, my machine will show it. If you're clean, it'll show that too. How do we know you ain't been bought off? Make us look bad. Cy Gilson is the best there is, boys. You're lucky to have him. Like, those are the main... Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about polygraphs being a valid form of interrogation, I guess. But those are the main plot points. (laughs) But, like, it's disappointing because, like, this setup in the forest with, like... Well, the setup with them getting interrogated in the bar and then you see what happened in the forest. I thought that was a really good setup. And I was like, I texted Terry, like, I'm getting in my feelings. But I liked the setup with the interrogation in the bar and the flashbacks. And I thought, okay, okay, I can kind of, I, I vibe with this. I like it. And then it's, it, it just drops that completely. And like the eeriness completely goes away. And then they're like, all right, cool. Just like a regular old small town drama. Yeah. And then it gets, and then it picks back up with the abduction, but it's just like, it's so uneven. Yes. Because, and everyone, and I think, I don't know what I was, ex- so this is the first time I ever saw this movie. Oh, really? Because one, I was terrified, I was terrified of aliens as a kid. So I just like avoided it like the plague. I was like, I don't need to see it. Because the way that it's hyped, it's like talked about so often is I thought it was like a nonstop terrifying, awful thing. <laughs> and then I watched it today. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, don't, do not get me wrong. That abduction sequence is fucking awesome and like really intense, but it was at the end, and I guess I didn't know that, and I was like, oh. And I get it confused with Communion. Yeah. Oh, Christopher I Walken haven't movie? seen that one, but I wanna, I've wanna. i been wanting to see that. Because Oh, Anthony, oh, you need to Anthony, see it. Anthony, seriously. I, oh. It is like camp, It is like the perfect camp movie, because it has no idea oh, it's campy. it's so campy. We, uh, and so that was like Whitley Strieber being like, remember when I wrote The Hunger, but yes. then I got abducted yes. by aliens? <laughs> right, yes. basically. And he was like, so mad about that movie because it made it, Christopher Walken made him look like a total fucking moron because like the whole movie is like a joke it's funny 
Yeah, we talked to uh, Rob Sheridan about that movie, and like it, it had been I. Like Mary Beth, I got that movie and this movie confused in my in my childhood brain, and I only remember like the scary parts. And that movie, rewatching it as an adult, is the campiest. What the fuck am I watching? Amazing, Christopher Walken on like another level performance. It's amazing. It's oh, I can't. It's wait. his best performance. And he wears a gi- <laughs> and he wears a giant hat. <laughs> All the good actors do. It's just wild. <laughs> But so this was played much more serious, obviously, like, the, well, yeah, it was played much more serious, and it just didn't, it didn't do it for me with most of it. Yeah. But again, the alien abduction scene was just like, cool, now we're in this fucking crazy place that, like, looks like it's covered in flesh, like, from Event Horizon, and, like, there's a half-ridiculous, like, mutated corpse that's, like, has its organs hanging out, and jelly everywhere and i was like so much jelly where did this come from so much jelly they shove it in his mouth that was so gross well and then like when like the part that freaked me out really early as a youth even before they got to the abduction like or not to the abduction but to the the surgical table when he's floating around in zero gravity cocoon room the the cocoonatorium (laughs) and then he like holding on to that umbilical cord almost yeah, yeah, he's, like, slinging on that thing, and then he, like, repels back into a cocoon and, like... <laughs> explodes into someone yes. who's all, like, yes! desiccated, and he's got, like, like, entrail goo on him. It's just, yes! like, is it a different film and different it director feels like it it totally feels like it though because i was like this is really amazing and i would love to see a more realized version of this because these two movies do not match up in my head like they do yeah. not match at all because the rest is like like i remembered it being basically a made for tv movie like that's why even just re-watching this as an adult uh for this show like i was stunned I didn't even know this cast was in it. Like, I had no idea Robert Patrick or Craig Schaefer right? or D.B. Right? Sweeney or um, <laughs> Zara Beth from Witchboard. Like, I had no idea that they were in this film. John G- James Garner. It, it It's so weird. How did they get these people? And yeah. why does nothing happen except for that one sequence <laughs> at the end of the movie? <laughs> well, I, I also think that it's kind of the power of that of that sequence, because honestly, the only when I when I was I mean, you and I, Anthony, you've been talking a little bit in, in DMs about this movie, about how I was not looking forward to rewatching it. Cause I had all these traumatic memories of this movie. Yep. And it's really just for me the last like 40 minutes of the movie and i but i completely forgot about the the setup for it i completely forgot after you know after the opening which as an adult like you said mary beth is still kind of effective and i've really liked the kind of yeah. shell-shocked behavior of them at the bar and they're like we got to tell the story right it's almost like this kind of like are they making it up are they not making it up type thing and then it just sort of like doesn't do anything for like almost an hour. And th- I completely had forgotten about that movie. And I think that's probably where like I was, I was probably bored as, as to death as a kid. And it was probably a combination of seeing that and seeing communion where it was like just mm. these, these crazy uh, alien moments that just sort of like lingered in my, in my head. And I completely forgot the campy performance in one and, and the absolute <laughs> boring small town drama and the other yeah. but uh, well how old, how old were you when you first saw this Terry? gosh 
Well, it came out in 90, what, 93? 93. So I had mm-hmm. to be about... I, I remember watching watching this with my parents when they had rented the VHS. So it probably was in ninety late 93 or early 94. So I would have been 12? Oh, God, Tara, 13? that was the year I was born. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I'm doing math, I'm realizing I would have been 93. Yeah, I would have been like 8 or something when yeah. I saw it. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I am a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I would have been I would have been twelve and ninety three. So I was either twelve or thirteen okay. when I saw this movie because it wasn't in theaters. It was on VHS, and I had watched it with with my parents. What what I remember about this movie screwing me up was really the moment. Uh, yes, the the whole alien abduction thing has been seared in my head, but really the moment when he comes back and he is like naked. And yes. in the rain and like crouched over and just like not really there. And every time someone tries to touch him, he starts screaming. Hey, Jane is right here. Yes. That I think still even as an adult was is a very effective scene because the like the last half of the movie is is really kind of a metaphor for PTSD. I mean, Oh, thank you for bringing it up. Cause yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, and of course I don't think about that as a kid. All I think about is this, this, yeah. this poor man who has been missing for five days. And all of a sudden he's just there naked, completely out of his mind, like terrified at, he doesn't even recognize his family coming over to like, you know, touch him and like put blankets on him and stuff. He's just so terrified. Yeah. And from that moment on, I, I, I just have little, little blips of, of, of memory of 12, 13 year old Terry of the, 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 the condom placed over him kind of like that is, is still an incredibly terrifying image. And when I reached out on, t- on Twitter about this movie to like kind of gauge people's reaction yeah. to it, that scene and like someone had repli- replied with an image of of the face where it's like he has like just the one eye poking out in the mouth and there's like the goo and the stuff in his mouth. That whole thing is is so it, there's some really weird, freaky imagery in this movie. And like like you said, Anthony, how is this the same movie <laughs> like for an hour <laughs> for an hour is this boring boring movie that has no personality whatsoever and then all of a sudden it's like it, it changes like even my in my notes i wrote it changes on a dime an hour in and all of a sudden yes. we're like in a completely different movie well and that's that's like story beat wise like how how do they how do they you know they're like oh my god we got a call from travis as his name and then yeah. they <laughs> they go to pick him up from naked phone booth and then instead of like you know they're like one they're like the the police are convinced that they killed him and all this stuff and he's clearly like not well and bruised so it's like they don't the first thing they do isn't call the police or an ambulance they call no. the ufo investigators oh my like, god right? like, like the aliens the f- talk to you <laughs> like, <laughs> so like what the fuck like, uh, what the fuck i mean i guess they kind of knew because they saw it happen but at the same time like why is that the first person you call these weirdos with the camera that are like yeah. interrogating your friend who is obviously very traumatized and can barely form a sentence yeah like, and, and i'm not advocating i should also say i'm not advocating to call the police when your friend gets abducted i'm just saying if in a story that you're in in a movie james garner is convinced you killed your friend i would want to call james garner and say suck it 
Like, I found my <laughs> yeah. I mean, valid. Or, like, yeah, exactly. Or, like, call an ambulance. That would like, be the first call. Like, like, hey, this guy is, like, really fucked up. Like, he should probably go to a doctor. No, and, <laughs> like, and his supposed best friend is, like, calling the UFO enthusiast who's there snapping pictures of him. And he's obviously... <laughs> obviously not reacting well to the the pictures happening and just asking him all these questions about mr walton can you tell me what they look like can you tell me how many of them there were were you were you given food injection what do they look like you know they're concerned about the ufo they're concerned about the event and not travis and that as an adult is such an upsetting thing to watch at that point mm-hmm. because you see these his family his best friends are not acting in his best interest at this point in this movie. No. no. Well, and there's also, like, one of the most haunting, and, like, I was actually surprised how haunting the shot was when it's the shot when the camera's outside and he puts his fingers in the window Mm. and there's, like, four fingerprints. It's creepy. Yeah. It's so creepy. It's a really amazing shot. And I feel like I wish the movie was more like that, like, the whole thing. Yeah. I think it would have been so good, but it is so amazing that he puts his fingers on it and he flashes back. Yeah, yeah, and you hear the the one good moment with that UFO ufologist is him being like, he's seeing something. He's seeing something. <laughs> and like, that's and- withholding information from the audience, and that's effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Filmmaking 101. Um, <laughs> but like Terry said, it is a really actually fascinating way to look at PTSD because they really do a good job of like the flashes of like images. Um, I di- I'm diagnosed with PTSD, and mm. it did really like portray the experience of having like a flashback like it isn't always like this horrendous like very long experience where you're frozen it, it can just be flashes of images and you get fucked up and you're like what's going on yeah and it sucks but i really appreciate a movie that is not a great movie from the 90s actually having a rather accurate portrayal of what like having a ptsd trigger can feel like and like when he's hiding under the table that really pulled up my heart oh when yeah he's hiding it made me so sad like hiding under the table when um he like, comes home and everyone's crowding around him and he's hiding under the table because i have felt that way before like not abducted not abducted by aliens or am i but like from just your own traumatic experiences like when you get so overwhelmed and you just want to hide and you just like don't want anyone to touch you or look at you and then yeah. when the maple syrup touches his lips <laughs> is immediately sent back like that whole sequence is so well shot and so interesting and how like the the, the, it's like crossing between him being upset and the syrup like quickly going towards like spilling over and quickly moving towards his mouth and then the close-up on his lips and all of a sudden he's back in the ship yeah and i thought that was such a cool fascinating and sad way of depicting like how you can get triggered like that and also just having a, a t- that transition between the here and now and the past yeah it's so effective and it's 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 funny because it's like i guess we keep talking about these like two different themes in the film or two different directors or <laughs> styles <laughs> yeah. but it is like the first hour or whatever the first part of the film is robert patrick's film basically yeah. and also yes. i was like what I'm attracted to Robert Patrick uh, as a, like as a yeah that was weird I was like a lumberjack 
it took me a moment to like realize who who he was. I'm like, because I, I I for some reason wasn't paying attention to the credits, and I was like looking at him, going, "Who is that? I should know who this is." I'm like, he's kind of attractive. I would like to know who this is, <laughs> right? And then I realized yeah. it was Robert Patrick. He was like, "Oh, this yeah, is like, team giving 1, me weird feelings." Yeah. <laughs> right, and, and, Team 1000, or uh, what's his name from X-Files later yeah. on? Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Or faculty gym gym coach. Oh, but then, that's like, right. Yes. But then after that, then it once they find Travis again, then it's his movie. Mm-hmm. Up until then, the last scene where they decide to merge the two films, and then they... And he lived in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, and now, and now a huge Robert beard? Patrick, yeah, he's like a, a hair metal <laughs> mountain man. <laughs> And the moral of the story is friendship. <laughs> oh. But also, like, to me, he's he is the one that runs away while Travis has kids and gets married. And I think it is so interesting how, like, the person who went through a really intense trauma, like, did his best to kind of live a more normal life. And then the other guy, who I guess experienced a different kind of trauma, obviously, but like he ran away and hid in the woods right. from everybody yeah. like a hermit. And it's like, that was weird to me. But I guess everyone experiences their traumas differently. But I was like, hmm, well, fascinating. The guy who got evicted by aliens is like doing his goddamn best. And then this other guy was like, nope, fuck it. I'm out of here. And just is a cabin man. <laughs> well, cabin man, the movie. <laughs> and then, then it's up to Travis to apologize to him. Oh, yes. In the end, God. I was like, why? why is the onus on him when he's the one that got fucking abducted? And the thing that I am, I'm kind of piecing together now, like just based on what you were talking about, Anthony, is that, yes, the first part of the movie, you start to feel bad for what is his name patrick uh mountain Robert man. patrick mountain man cabin man cab- cabin <laughs> cabin man you start <laughs> feeling bad for mountain man cody cambria fan um who is <laughs> who you know is like he went back he's trying to find his best friend he's trying to do this trying to do that and then it's such a change in character because I, the the one part that i i wrote down was was when Travis is in in the uh, in the hospital, and Mountain Man says, "You son of a bitch! You hadn't have gotten out of the truck in the first place. None of this would have happened." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, we're victim blaming now." Yeah. <laughs> first of all, and second of all, we are showing your true colors, and then falling from there, just like seeing him in almost a comatose, comatose state in the car, and everyone is like tapping on the window. Travis, can we have your autograph? Autograph? Yeah, you're famous. You've been to space. Like he's an object that they want to get an autograph for, you know? You're famous. Uh, mm-hmm. You've been yes. to space. As if like this should be some kind of wonderful experience. Look at look at the fame that you're going to have now. And can I get an autograph, by the way? And then, you know, even the cop coming over is like, well... Autographs. You've become quite the celebrity. You enjoying it? Now, the word is that tabloids are going to put up quite a hunk of cash for your story rights. Hit the big time. Congratulations. You're famous now. You're, you know, tabloids will have lots of money for your story. Congratulations. You know, it's like these moments of you seeing what this man is going through in the movie and the way people are treating him and reacting to him. And even at the party, right before he like hides under the table, everyone is sort of annoyed. Like, you know, they're like, where's Travis? And, and his brother, this look like, 
who knows it's travis right and i'm like dude (laughs) he was gone for five days i don't care if he was abducted by aliens or not if he was gone for five days and missing in some like weird state in the forest and this is how you're treating him boy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so okay this is a very weird detail that i noticed because i really like cryptids and aliens and mothman oh yeah um so he has eye. Well, obviously we see him get like almost lobotomized with the Oof. needle into his eye. <gasps> yep. Which is fucked up. That was I the part it. I think as a kid because I already have like eye issues. That was one of the main the milky stuff before it that was <laughs> pulling in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> um, that must be awesome to listen to. I hope listeners enjoy those sounds. Um. But it made me think of not just the part where it's like kind of the needle in his tear duct, but he had like um wounds on the outside of his eyes too mm-hmm. yeah and it made me think of this um phenomenon that happens to people who see ufos or mothman um it's called i can't remember what it's called but it's like a radiation burn around your eyes oh when you are exposed to like the radiation of a ufo or something that is like extraterrestrial and you get people who had like seen mothman had gotten like it looked like conjunct it's like con- similar to conjunctivitis and get like red red eyes and like inflamed eyes and their eyes like swell up a little bit and so that just made me think about it like about how people who have seen ufos kind of experience a weird sensation in their eyes Mm. um from being exposed to the light that's so cool i I never thought of that but i mean well but i think that also that's something that this movie does i think why it stuck with me even as bad maybe as the rest of the movie is why it stuck with me is that you always see like the survivor after and they're fine just telling their wacky story. Mm -hmm. But in this, it's like the body is also a site of trauma. Yes. Which speaks to, I think also the PTSD underpinnings that you're talking about and are absolutely there. It's like it, the trauma is physicalized. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Cause I feel like a lot of the time in these movies, they come back and they're close still. It's only been like a couple hours and they're like, Oh, I was anally probed because that's the worst thing that can happen to a person, yeah. I guess. Yeah. They'll have I like missing time and then they have to get hypnotism or something. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, we talk, I talked to Tay about this today, but also when we talk about the communion, how like aliens are always probing people and like the trauma comes from that, which is a very fascinating choice. But here, like he is covered in scabs and wounds and like his like you said his body is a slate of trauma which you never see in ufo films like the body is never there's no marks Mm -hmm. there's no indicator of that but in this one like you said his face is very obviously harmed yeah yeah and even like i mean with my unsolved mysteries brain coming in here like you know (laughs) there's uh this idea that would always come out of a lot of ufology at least from like the 70s 80s and 90s where it was like people don't find out or they don't have sight like trauma um evidence until like later during surgeries or things doctors will find like the implants is like something that would come up but otherwise it's not like like it's something that's revealed after the fact but that he comes back with these things and yeah and it's like right there on him it's really it's interesting one thing that I do appreciate about the alien aspects of this of this movie is that it's it's different than the normal yeah like it's very like i mean okay you can tell that this that this movie was was filmed post alien yes <laughs> and aliens right because like the the pods are so goopy and like it, it it has this very like organic alien 
feel to it with the the structure of the the whole place but like it's it's doing something that is different than the typical um grays creatures right where it's like usually just a very sterile you know location that they that they bring you to and and in here it's like the complete opposite of it so i i do appreciate that aspect of it even as as an adult but i do have I, I I know the answer from Mary Beth, but do you <laughs> <laughs> do you either of you do you believe in in aliens and alien abductions, <laughs> Anthony? <laughs> um, I want to believe to be a a, a, a poster on a wall. I, I would love to believe that there's aliens. I, I definitely, you know, think unidentified flying objects occur. I'm all, I've always been fascinated by it. I've always mm-hmm. been interested. The, the, the fear goes so far back in my being from unsolved mysteries. And, and I remember even staying out with my uncle. He lived down in the desert. Um, same uncle that introduced me to my first drag queen, but, um, staying out with him and he had a friend also staying on his property out in this like wide open, you know, all horizon desert. And, um, the guy was terrified of aliens and he would tell stories about sitting in his van at night, every night going to sleep and like watching and waiting for the lights. And like that would just creep me out even more. So I, I, I think even if I don't particularly believe that greys exist, like I also grew up with sleep paralysis growing up. So I know. Oh no. Yeah. I know how your brain can like trick you into seeing things and, and you have these experiences that really, I think there's a lot of overlap between sleep paralysis and alien abduction experiences. Um, that I think you could kind of say that there's a correlation and that one might be the other. Um, but the fear uh, is something that I just have been conditioned into. It's just part of me. So no, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary Beth? Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Just, it's so fun. I just, I always, like, feel weird saying that because I'm like, I swear, like, I am not one of those, like, <laughs> even me saying it, I can't even say it. Look, I think this shit's real. I don't even care. Whatever. Like, think whatever you want. I have a UFO tattoo. Like, I grew up. Being terrified of aliens, mostly because my dad tormented me with, like, alien abduction stories Ugh. and shit. Because he thought it was funny and it wasn't um, to me as a four-year-old. But Ugh. then, like, I really loved the X-Files. But then that got into my brain. And then, like, my stepdad had experiences of seeing things. A couple of my friends have had really interesting experiences. And, like, I just am so, like, I think it's more like I just think it, like, I would just love her. Like, I just want to believe it. And I think it's so fucking cool. And, like, these experiences I hear from people are so interesting. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck yeah. I believe you. Because, like, I don't know. I just believe that there is something else out there. I don't necessarily think they're going to come here and, like, take us. And, like, I don't necessarily believe in a lot of things about, like, how, like, how they treat people and, like, what they do with people. But I don't know. I think they're real. So that's, that's my spiel on that i love it own it <laughs> i think i think you know too like i've always i've always loved philosoph- philosophically i've loved the idea that aliens are just us from the future coming back to experiment on ourselves <laughs> and figure out some weird who knows what so maybe they're just time travelers i don't know maybe but i've go. always been intrigued now about so about travis walton in his in his oh, story yeah, I, okay. I find That's right. it's based on the it's actually based on a a true story. This is actually based on a true story. I, I use that in quotations hmm. because so there's there's two things. One, so the 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 story that they came up with 
it it happened at such a coincidence where they were going to miss their deadline to finish a logging job, after which they would have been docked 10% of their contract unless an act of God prevented completion. And then he gets abducted for five days. Oh. So that's not an act of God. That's an act of alien. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's because like um, there's a, a a skeptic. His name is Michael Shermer that has had so many um, issues with this this case. And like during the time they had there's like interviews even with his his brother who confessed that he's not even missing. He knows where he's at and I know where he's at. And like when they did the thing that that the movie does differently is that or at least I, I think it does differently is that instead of having like his uh the um the lie detectors by some lie detector you know specialist supposedly in real life it was part of the UFO organization oh, no. that did the polygraph test oh fuck off oh no <laughs> oh fuck off um which is like a huge thing at the end when they bring up that title card that says like what happened and they're like they took the polygraph again and they passed. <laughs> like yeah. So it's like but also I'm like I've seen real housewives Lisa Vanderpump passed a polygraph and she was lying. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not real. You can you can manipulate them. <laughs> also I want to I want to know what it's like to become a person who just reads polygraph tests. Yeah. Right? <laughs> But here's here's the other funny the fun little little uh nugget is that have do you guys remember the I think it was on Fox the show The Moment of Truth? No. Oh, that rings a bell. So it was in like it was uh, it was early 2000s and it was the show where like they would get people on and they would ask them questions and it would be in front of a live studio <gasps> audience yes. of and they'd have to like, you know, tell the truth and if they could like keep telling the truth and pass the money would would go up. Well, Walton was a guest in 2008 on the show, and they asked him. Question 15 is simply this. Were you abducted by a UFO on November 5th, 1975? Yes. That answer is... failing but let me, on live TV. But also, like, let me read this from the Wikipedia page, so obviously take it with a grain of salt. The National Enquirer... Okay, they they were awarded a $5,000 prize for Best UFO Case of the Year after yep. Walton and his co-workers passed a polygraph test administered by the National Enquirer and yep. the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Walton, his older brother, and his mother were described by the Navajo County, Arizona Sheriff as longtime students of UFOs. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Suspicious. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> the truth yeah. is out there, and it's not with him. <laughs> God damn it! I just hope in real life Robert Patrick's character really does have that like feathered hair and that big beard in his cabin. Right. Oh, me too. Please. That's all I request from real life. <laughs> so, do we want to give us our our ratings? 
Yeah. All right, Terry, how many freaky skin sacks? Is that we're calling it? Ooh. Freaky skin sacks? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How many Unfortunately. freaky skin sacks out of five do you give fire in the sky? I mean, that is kind of a loaded question. <laughs> loaded like the pods that they keep people in, I suppose. But <laughs> like I, for the first hour of the movie, this is like a two, a two fleshy skin what is it fleshy skin <laughs> too fleshy oh, too fleshy too was my fleshy 90s hip hop band <laughs> <laughs> but i i think the last 40 minutes is actually rather interesting and i would probably give that i would give probably like that 40 minute chunk of the movie a three and a half and the beginning i'd probably give it a two so like i'm i'm gonna probably say two and a half fleshy skin sacks okay. which is disgusting but also <laughs> very on point uh, what about you Mary Beth? um i am gonna give it actually three fleshy skin sacks oh. out of five despite how much shit i've been talking about it um i am really really impressed with the alien abduction scene which i think really speaks to the strength of this film in terms mm -hmm. of just those 12 minutes like those 12 minutes have just been cemented in so many people's brains for so long and i did really enjoy the set design and the alien design and then everything about it. So, and the kind of lead up with the Pete with symptoms of PTSD. So I will give it a three out of five for the way it has both traumatized a generations of people <laughs> and the way it realizes a very terrifying kind of maybe more original ish look at the, um, the alien narrative. Yeah. And what about you, Anthony? How many, uh, fleshy skin sacks out of five and what is the final word <sighs> on this movie? Well, Final verdict on Fire in the Sky. You know, I saw this movie as a youth, messed me up. I saw the alien sequence again much later in my life. I was actually doing video uh, for RuPaul's Drag Race World Tour, and I, I did... Sharon Needles had me do a video that was just the Fire in the Sky abduction sequence that she would perform in front oh. of as an alien... And so I had, really? yeah, I had to, wow. I spent like literally 20 hours watching that needle go into that eye over and over oh, and over God. as I edited that damn video for her backing visuals. And I was still traumatized watching this movie again and seeing that it really is a made for TV movie. Let's be real. That is, it's a two flesh sacks. However, with that alien abduction sequence, like you said, Mary Beth, I think this movie warrants three flesh sacks out of five. What a weird movie, man. Like, what a weird, like, divisive film and uh, divisive in its own footage. <laughs> like, but <laughs> divisive by its own making. Like, divisive in its, by its own making, which is really weird, and I can't think of many films like it. But you know what? Respect. 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 <laughs> Respect. Respect Cabin Man. Man. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. I just wish he'd come out with like a banjo or something. <laughs> oh my god, they're gonna when he's like they're gonna come back. I'm like, what? Who are? Who is who now? I'm so confused that the characters have been swapped. Yes. Ah. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's actually what the needle in the in the eye was for is to swap out their brains. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why the sequel is like <laughs> twins, and that you don't know which one's which. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's wacky. Oh no. 
Oh, man. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us to talk about Fire in the Sky. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you'd like to share? <laughs> thank you for having me. I can't believe we got to talk about this movie. Um, <laughs> I can't either. You can, you can find me. Uh, I'm across social media at at the Carla Rossi. Uh, my website is also thecarlarossi.com. Uh, you can find out about Gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com. And um, in terms of what I have coming up, if you pay attention to my social media, I will be actually slowly rolling out some videos of our queer horror performances edited as like with little like Elvira kind of bumpers from Carla, the the Oh, that's oh fuck yeah! The hostess with the grossest will pop up in the beginning of these videos, yeah. um, and so I'm gonna be making some new online content for y'all, uh, and you can just keep it uh, with that through either at Queer Horror PDX, that's our Instagram for Queer Horror. It's also Queer Horror.com, or once again through um, my Carla Rossi social media. So yeah. Perfect. Awesome. And so, listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Fire in the Sky? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with us on Twitter at at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.